It was your typical Charlotte day. Too hot and not nearly enough breeze, but everybody was still enjoying their Saturday off. I was having a picnic with my family, sitting in the grass next to the Knight Stadium in what Charlotte called Uptown. It was really just their downtown, but I guess the city felt this was a more positive way of referring to the city's beating center. We were on the grass watching the baseball game through a chain-link fence set up at the end of the field. My four-year-old son, Max, was running off the sugar from his Kool-Aid. Will, our two-year-old, was standing up and falling down between Courtney and I. Lastly, she was holding our youngest, who was less than a year old, Charlie. I cherished these moments and found that they were the most satisfying out of my entire life. These easy days with no crazy work deadlines looming overhead, no impending projects to finish in a rush. That's not what made them so great though. It was the time with my family. My wife and my children. That's what I adored and it seemed that lately I was getting less and less of these quality moments with them. So, I was going to enjoy it on my mental camera and record every minute of it. We continued watching the Knights game when a strange orange red light took over the sky. There were no clouds accompanying the strange lighting, so no one felt in a rush or panic. I remember my wife said, Wow, if it was sunset, this would be gorgeous. But it's in the middle of the day. She was right. The colors were majestic and captivating. It almost seemed iridescent. In one moment, you would think it was red for sure, then you would second-guess yourself that it was an orange before you finally settled on blue. Or, or was it purple? Courtney was right. At three in the afternoon, a beautiful sunset vista just didn't feel right. I started looking for the sun on the horizon, but it wasn't there. The color in the sky tricked my mind into thinking that it should be blocked by clouds, but it wasn't. In fact, there wasn't a cloud in the sky. I was completely intrigued. I started analyzing everything I could about atmosphere, clouds, storms, and weather patterns. It didn't take long, as I was definitely not a meteorologist. Nonetheless, I was thoroughly intrigued by what I was watching play out before my eyes. One of the night players hit a pop fly nearly straight up into the air. He was obviously going to be out and the innings were going to change. I was watching the white ball climb into the air against the color-filled sky when suddenly a lightning strike flashed. I instinctively averted my eyes and prepared for the loud sound of thunder that would surely follow. Nothing. No rumble in the distance, no crack from an extremely close strike. Just silence. Then I realized that it wasn't just the lack of thunder that I wasn't hearing. There wasn't any sound at all. That's weird, I said. I waited a few seconds for my wife's obligatory response, but she didn't say a thing. She just stared at the sky. I tried to redirect her attention by saying her name. Uh, Courtney? Nothing. She didn't move. I got right next to her and said her name again, louder this time. Courtney? Same response. I looked at our kids. Charlie was just as frozen in my wife's arms. He was completely unaware of what was happening. 
Will was sitting down and resting his weak, untrained muscles, but then I saw Max. He had been jumping up and down with joy at the pop fly that he mistook for a home run. He was mid-air and motionless, like a paused frame in a movie. I ran over to him, but didn't touch him. I just analyzed his face to make sure he wasn't scared. I did the same with everyone else, and once I was certain, I started calling for help. My voice sounded strange. It was my voice, but after the initial sound left my throat, there was nothing else. No echo left to bounce along the air currents. I practiced a few more sounds and came to the shocking conclusion that the only way anyone would ever be able to hear me was if they were standing right next to me. It was terrifying. Ten minutes later, I heard a noise that I mistook for footsteps. I turned to see that no one was near. I analyzed the sound and realized to my own horror that it was my very own heartbeat. Nothing was making sense. All I could think was, where is the sound going? It has to be going somewhere, doesn't it? I stayed with my family for a whole day. At, at least it felt like a day. It became pretty hard to tell how much time was passing since nothing but myself was moving. The strange lightning in the odd-colored sky was motionless and still. It looked no different than the moment I first instinctually averted my eyes. I was too scared to try and move my family. I, I wanted to, but I just didn't know what would happen if I did. Finally, I decided to go and look for help. Maybe there were others like me in the city, ones who weren't stuck like a fish frozen in a glacier. I first tried starting my car. I should have known better. The door wouldn't open as the lock was frozen in time, although the handle would move. Max left the back window open, so I crawled through there. I put my key into the ignition, and it did turn, but that was all. All the subsequent motions were locked in the moment they were paused in. After that, I started walking. I walked the entire city alone. A few times I forgot my situation and called out believing someone might hear my echo ricocheting off the buildings. Each time, I was reminded that there was no echo for others to hear. Only I was allowed to hear my silent voice. After what I can only assume was another day, I saw something move down an alley just off South Church in Brevard Court. I ran to the brick corner as fast as I could. Around the corner I saw four people walking together. I ran up to behind them and tried to yell in order to get their attention. As far as I could tell, I was screaming at the top of my lungs, but they only heard me once I was right behind them. They all turned with smiling faces and greeted me. I can now hear them when they told me their names. Henry, Jones, Karen, and Aaron. I was so excited to have someone else to talk to. The fear of being alone forever progressively increased my anxiety with each passing moment. Until now. After the initial excitement wore off, I found out more about each one of them. 
Their stories weren't that different from my own. Uh, Karen, a young pretty girl with black hair, was with her boyfriend waiting for food. They were sitting outside a cafe when everyone froze around her. Henry was a bearded man who was overweight and wore a blazer. He was an intellectual who was researching papers on his back porch for an upcoming class. He realized something was off when his fountain pen he was using for his notepad stopped writing. He unscrewed it to see if it was out of ink. It was full. Eventually, he tipped the pen upside down and the ink refused to fall from its cylinder even though gravity demanded it. Jones was a homeless person who was at ease on the streets of Charlotte. He was asking for change when the man telling him off near the grocery store on South Boulevard went motionless and mute. Aaron's story was by far the strangest though. Not just because of the way time was, but also because of what he was doing. Aaron was depressed, and he had jumped off a building and was two feet from smacking the pavement when the lightning struck. He said it was over 30 stories high that he jumped from. He thought his life was flashing before his eyes when everything stopped, including him in midair. He positioned his feet on the ground, raised his torso, and just started walking around. All of us were sad that he felt that he needed to do that, but we were glad to find something good out of this whole weird situation. At least his life was saved, just in time. Each story began once the lightning struck. I told them my story and it sounded just as familiar to them as theirs to mine. Henry was some kind of professor, and he loved the sound of his own voice, uh, so he never stopped explaining at length what he thought was happening. He referred to theories and physics no layman had ever heard of, and also that we couldn't substantiate without Google at our fingertips. In his view, he was a mental giant surrounded by childish minds that he could push around. None of us paid him much attention, though. I think had time been normal, he would have irritated all of us a great deal more, but as things stood, he was who he was, and so were we. We had been together for what felt like days when I realized the strangest thing. I wasn't tired at all. I wasn't thirsty or hungry either. In fact, I felt the exact same way as I did when this whole thing began. The others confirmed the same feelings. Karen felt slightly hungry because she was waiting for her food when it started. Aaron felt uh, adrenaline coursing through him at all times from falling to the ground. Jones was confused, which was no different than his life before on the street. Henry was full of self-satisfactions. It went further than just what our physical bodies were doing at the time too. It was also the state of mind we were in. Karen was dissatisfied, Jones was confused, Henry was overconfident, Aaron was apologetic, and I was analyzing. It seemed like whatever state of mind we were in was locked into place at that moment. We were unable to escape it or even force another way of thinking. Whether positive or negative the feelings we had the moment the strange lightning struck, that was it. We were stamped with it. There wasn't much we could do besides talk. In order to enter any building, we had to go through whatever opening we could find. And that usually meant a door that remained open or a garage we could just walk through. 
Jones pulled a gun from his pocket once, and out of what looked like frustration, he just started pulling the trigger over and over. Normally, the glass he was pointing his gun at would have shattered, but of course, nothing happened. It couldn't, because the bullets never left the gun. They never left, because the hammer never struck the primer. Jones laughed and pointed the gun at his head and did it again. Nothing changed, and he just tossed the gun onto the ground. Someone was holding the door to the museum open for a cigarette break, so we spent some time enjoying the art there. The frozen expression on people's faces were funny to see at times. Often you could spot the feeling of emptiness they were hiding, especially when they were looking at art that touched them personally. We decided to take a mental break and rest by one of the fountains downtown. That's all we could do as though we really couldn't sleep. It was intriguing to see the still water while being able to smell it in the air. Henry got up, telling us he'd be right back. Aaron hopped next to a nearby bench while looking at the red and orange sky. Jones sat next to him. Karen and I just talked next to the fountain. We were way beyond chit-chat at this point. All of us guessed that we were approaching uh, a week, but a week after removing eating, drinking, sleeping, and whatever mundane activity really adds up. Karen and her boyfriend weren't close, although she wanted to be. She made an offhand comment about meeting someone like me once this was all over. I smiled, but explained that I had met the love of my life in my Courtney. She was my blonde bobshell, and I adored her, even in my analytical mindset. Karen smirked back. Although she was disappointed, she also liked hearing about a man that was sticking to his love. We both awkwardly shuffled after that. Henry returned, holding food in both hands. He had a large soda in one hand and a burger in the other. We asked why he was doing it since none of us could even feel hungry, and he jokingly replied that he was engaged in an empirical research study. My guess was he was starting to go a little batty from not chewing on something. I really couldn't fault him, though. I remember when I drank smoothies for a week on a diet. I started to miss the way the food crunched in my mouth. Sometimes it's the little things that mess with you the most. That night, if you could call it that, we talked about the lightning. I made some remark about how the sky didn't look different at all, even after a week when Henry corrected me through a mouthful of food. He said the sky was different. All of us immediately began to analyze the sky to see what he meant, and he was right. The lightning strike was smaller than before. It looked to be moving back to its source at an infinitesimal pace. We all wondered what that meant, but Jones gave the only reply we cared about. Everything will be normal again once the lightning is gone, he said in his crazy conspiratorial rambling. Henry tried to denounce the conclusion as juvenile, but none of us cared. We all began to rest our hopes on that very idea. Aaron was good at math, and he ran the numbers quickly with his energized mind. He calculated that if the rate of ascent remained the same, that in three more weeks the lightning would be gone. All we had to do was wait it out. Waited out and our lives would be back to normal. Time already moved too slow, but now that we had hope and something to look forward to, it, it was even slower.
Each day went the same. Henry ate food he found, and the lightning got smaller. Aaron apologized for everything, even things that weren't his fault, and the lightning got smaller. Jones said crazy things and tried to hurt himself, proving he was still impervious, and the lightning got smaller. Then Karen and I talked. Uh, the talks were nice, but I was so thankful that I was locked into analytical thinking. Poor Karen. She was locked into saying that she could do better. She was stuck seeing greener pastures elsewhere, while I was securely obsessed with facts, figures, and anything else devoid of emotional swings. And the lightning got smaller. It was nearly time. I decided to go back to my family at the ballpark. If things did return to normal, I wouldn't want them to worry about me. Everyone came but Karen. She decided to go back to her table with her boyfriend. We hugged goodbye and avoided direct eye contact. The rest went with me to the ball game. My family was still there. I knew they would be as we checked on them every 24 hours. We each looked into the sky, eagerly anticipating the lightning's departure. It was close, maybe 30 more seconds, uh, maybe 10. We each got lost in the hopes that Jones was right. We privately fantasized about seeing something as simple as a blue sky again, about hearing the sound of an echo again, about feeling something other than one emotion again. We each had our own quiet thoughts about what we hoped for. The lightning, is it even there now? I, I can't see it. Suddenly, the whole world exploded into a cacophony of sound. And not just normal sounds, but terrible, impossibly loud noises that drowned out everything else. I couldn't even hear myself scream. Uh, my voice was coming out, but I could feel my vocal cords straining, uh, but I couldn't hear a thing. My family still wasn't moving, as time hadn't quite returned to normal. I quickly realized what I was hearing was the exploding thunder that was silent before, combined with all the echoes from our words and the sounds for the last month catching up to us. In that moment, noise followed us like a jet plane that had broken the sound barrier. I heard my original screaming, the sound of the gunshots from Jones firing into the glass that was now shattering in my ears. I turned to Aaron, his eyes widened and suddenly became a flat smashed mound of dead flesh that fell to the ground. Jones' brains flew out of his skull and his body showed every terrible wound that he had inflicted on himself over the last four weeks. It, it happened so fast that he, he didn't even have time to react. Henry fell to the ground screaming out in agony. All of the food that he had been eating wasn't digested at all. It just stayed in his system for months, not moving, not aging, or disintegrating. All that time, his body was the container for the food, and it came rushing into one moment of indescribable pain. He screamed out, clutching his stomach and dry heaving before simply dying with his eyes wide open. I looked across to the park to South Church Road where Karen was. She was crossing the street almost to her boyfriend with an eyesight. In that moment, time completely returned to normal and the truck that we'd passed over and over in the last month instantly resumed traveling at 45 miles an hour. 
It hit Karen, instantly pulverizing every bone in her now airborne dead body. I, I wanted to scream in revulsion, but then I heard that wonderful voice. Oh no, it's a pot fly, sweetheart. But it's okay. I heard my Courtney helping my Max understand why he didn't need to jump around. My Courtney, my Max. It had been so long since I've heard their voices. I hurriedly grabbed Courtney and hugged her. I kissed her cheeks tightly. I cried instantly, happy to have the sound of life echoing in my ears again. The, the rumble of the lightning was dissipating in the distance. It was finally over. I finally got her back. Honey, honey, I love you. I love you so much. Poor Courtney was understandably confused. A moment ago, I was enjoying a warm afternoon with my family, and now I looked hysterical with joy. I have so much to tell her and so much to say. I know it will sound crazy, but she'll understand in time. I took a deep breath and tried to decide where to start when I noticed in my peripheral vision a powerful flicker in the sky. No, there's no time. I yell out as fast as I can. No, Courtney, don't eat anything. Thing, thing, thing. Don't eat anything. What are you talking about, Rich? Rich? Is that lightning frozen? Protect me from you.